0: Welcome to the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations Events Podcast, where we bring you the audio from our public programs, featuring in-depth analysis of topics on China from scholars, journalists, authors, and policymakers. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.
1: It's fabulous that we've got Frank Wu with us this evening. Um, You know, he's... He's done so much. He's been such a trailblazer uh, for Chinese in America. It's hard to overstate the impact that he's had. He has now become the incoming president of Queens College, uh, part of the City University of New York. I think, what's it have, Frank? About 20,000 students. And it's yes. a few miles east of where I'm sitting. Uh, before that, he was Dean and a Distinguished Professor at Hastings Law School in San Francisco. Um, he was the first Asian American to serve in each of those positions. He was president of the Committee of 100. And if you don't know the Committee of 100, you should learn about it, because it's just about the most important Chinese American organization in the United States that does battle on behalf of Chinese Americans and for US-China relations. It's incredibly important. If I went on and talked about all of Frank's other contributions, we wouldn't have time for him to talk. So let me just turn it over to Frank and say, we can't wait to welcome you in person in New York, but it's great to have you on tonight's program. And those of you in Beijing, good morning. Those of you in New York or on the West Coast, good evening. But Frank, welcome.
0: Thank you so much, Steve, and good evening and good morning to everyone. That's uh, about all I can do in Mandarin, I'm afraid. (laughs) So I'm going to uh, talk uh, first uh, about uh, the history of Chinese immigration to the United States, and then uh, talk about some of the current issues that are on people's minds even as we shelter in place with COVID-19, and as protests globally uh, are occurring as part of the Black Lives Matter movement. What I'd like to do uh, is give you a sense of some of the issues that not only Chinese Americans, who could be sixth generation Californians, or adoptees, or the third generation in Flushing, Queens, Uh, as well as Chinese in America, those who are exchange students, who are only temporarily here and yearn to return to Shanghai or Shenzhen, some of the issues that they face. We'll uh, have uh, an enormous amount of time for Q&A because uh, really dialogue is the heart of what we do as part of a diverse democracy. Uh, Please don't hesitate to think of the questions, uh, whether they're about the issues that I discuss or issues uh, that I don't discuss. If it's uh, something that is within uh, my area of knowledge, I will do my level best to answer. I will not do what law professors usually do, which is to say that's a very good question. What do you think? Although I welcome your thoughts as well. Let me start uh, with the transcontinental railroad and actually even before that. The history of Chinese in America dates back far longer than most people, including Chinese and Chinese Americans themselves know. Last year was the 150th anniversary of the golden spike ceremony. That's when at Promontory Point, Utah, manifest destiny was realized. When uh, the first uh, white settlers uh, came uh, to this continent, they envisioned a time uh, when from sea to sea, Uh, the land uh, would be united. And ironically, that occurred because of the labor of approximately 10 to 15,000 Chinese workers, men uh, who were recruited to build the western half of the railroad. Virtually the entire workforce consisted of these migrants. Yet, uh, when the celebratory photos were taken, they were almost to a person excluded. They weren't part of the festivities, uh, even though they were the ones who, through their bra- back breaking and sometimes uh, life risking labor, had blasted through the sheer granite uh, mountains uh, to achieve uh, this uh, hope of manifest destiny. But the truth is, Uh, Chinese had been in the United States even before then. This is hard to believe when I say this, people are skeptical, but you can do what everyone does, which is Google it, uh, especially if you have a VPN uh, that will enable you to access this. There were Chinese soldiers in the United States Civil War fought between 1861 and 1865 in both the Union and Confederate armies. Entire books have been written uh, to look at the rosters of those military forces to identify all of the Asian men. It wasn't just one or two, it wasn't just dozens, it was actually hundreds of not just Chinese, but there were some Japanese some Koreans, some Filipinos, some South Asians. Truly astonishing, uh, this uh, longstanding uh, presence. That migration uh, included so much uh, that uh, is obscured now. There were Chinese who were recruited to the Reconstruction South. After uh, slaves were freed, plantation owners uh, had these fantastic schemes to bring over millions of Chinese. They did not succeed, but they did bring thousands who settled in the Mississippi Delta. Uh, Many of them, uh, after uh, working uh, in the fields, became Uh, shopkeepers. They ran little one-room groceries that served both working-class whites and working-class blacks. Many then migrated to Houston, Texas, which has a long-standing and large Chinese-American community. Chinese laborers were also recruited to the east to factories when the labor movement was just getting started, and they were brought in as strikebreakers when uh, unions were organized along ethnic lines. All of this ultimately led to the Exclusion Act in 1882. Some of you may know a phrase, the model minority myth. It's this notion that Asians are smart and hardworking and will outcompete others. That isn't new. It actually was the basis for the racial rivalry of the 1870s. Both political parties competed to be more anti-Chinese and the act that was passed ultimately expanded into the Asiatic Bard Zone in 1917. Despite uh, our ideals, the United States welcomes people from the world over who come because this is that city upon a hill that beckons with freedom and liberty and opportunity. Uh, It has uh, also seen a long-standing history of shutting the door on expressly ethnic lines. Make no mistake, the Chinese Exclusion Act was based on national origin. That was in the name of the very act, Chinese Exclusion Act. It was an effort to keep people out who were coming from one specific place. Uh, And the demagogues who encouraged it openly said uh, that it was important for California in particular, but the entire nation to remain white and Christian. And they regarded uh, the Chinese as the vanguard of an invading force. So there was also this notion of yellow peril that the Chinese were not individuals but representatives of a foreign sovereignty. So the US government actually opposed even a native born person named Wong Kim Ark seeking citizenship on the basis that he'd been born on this soil. And they wrote that if he were accorded citizenship then it would be degraded uh, and degenerate that's the uh, history and the context within, within which uh, Chinese started to come. Some of you uh, might know that Chinese also were among the first illegal immigrants undocumented. There was a long-standing practice for uh, several decades of Chinese coming in because of the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco destroying records. That actually helped the Chinese because then they could say either that they had been here before the Exclusion Act or they were the descendants of someone who was already here. After uh, World War II, migration changed significantly and became very heavily from Taiwan or Hong Kong or the Chinese diaspora uh, from other places, the Philippines, Malaysia, and so on. And now uh, we've seen uh, an entire change. If you take a look at the statistics from the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, and just look at that span, By about the mid 80s, instead of most of the migration coming from Taiwan or Hong Kong, most of the migration started to come from mainland China. And that continues to be true to this day. The migration is different as well. Now, uh, Asia is ascendant and China in particular is viewed as a rival superpower to the United States. There's also uh, through social media, such as we're using the possibility of transnational community. Even if you move across the Pacific Ocean, you can still have the same girlfriend or boyfriend, you can share viral cat videos, Uh, you can participate meaningfully uh, in life back home in a way that you could not uh, for previous generations. When my parents migrated, for example, they thought they might never see their parents again. My mother used to write letters uh, almost every day on an airmail envelope. Some of you may just be old enough to remember the pale blue envelopes uh, that you folded so that you use the paper itself as the envelope to save on weight and thus cost of postage. And you would use every part of the paper. They didn't even place long distance telephone calls because an international call like that would have required operator assistance on those old rotary dial phones uh, and would have been Prohibitively expensive. Now, uh, with our smartphone, uh, we can do this uh, easily and at virtually no cost. This has altered entirely uh, what migration looks like. And that's the context uh, for what has happened now. And what I'd like to turn to uh, is uh, the contemporary picture of educational opportunities uh, for Chinese in America and some of the issues that might be on your minds. Perhaps they've been in headlines uh, that you've read. And uh, at the conclusion, before we turn to questions and answers, uh, I'll uh, try to connect this to COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement. So something has happened uh, recently. uh, And that is that the 350 to 400,000 students of Chinese background coming as foreign exchange students have been described as virtually all of them spies. Uh, if uh, you want a credible report, uh, Politico, uh, Washington Insider Magazine, and Vandy Fair both reported that none other than the president himself at a private dinner said to business leaders that he believed all, or almost all, that was the quote they used, students coming from China were spies. Did, did I say that properly? Uh, So, (laughs) yes, that that was then uh, echoed by FBI Director Ray, who in testimony uh, before Congress said uh, specifically the threat was from non-traditional collectors, meaning not cloak and dagger James Bond type uh, professional spies from the movies or television, but instead people posing as scholars and students who were coming uh, in order uh, to engage in trade secret theft or outright espionage on behalf of Beijing. Uh, Those headlines ultimately led to what's been called the China Initiative. Among the last acts of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, you may recall, uh, he had been appointed to that office. He's since fallen out of favor uh, with the White House. Jeff Sessions uh, left office in late 2018. He served as the highest law enforcement official, uh, the top lawyer for the United States government for about two years. Well, Attorney General Sessions in November of 2018, among his very last acts, was to announce the China Initiative. That's what it was called. And it was an effort to crack down and to use laws that had been on the books, but had not previously been enforced. To go after uh, these alleged spies. So that China initiative has led to dozens of prosecutions and they've just uh, announced in uh, Science Magazine uh, that uh, they're, they provided numbers uh, about four or five dozen uh, professors either uh, were fired or resigned or otherwise uh, found to have engaged in wrongdoing. So what I'd like to do is uh, break down these cases into three categories, and then talk a little bit about scale, which is always important to bear in mind when we're talking about China. There are three types of cases I would suggest to you. The first is real cases. I've studied these cases. I am trained as a lawyer. I've done a little bit of pro bono behind the scenes work, but I don't uh, represent for pay anyone involved in these cases. But when you study these cases, I always make it a point when journalists call me to say right up front, I have no doubt. I have zero doubt that China, like other nations, engages in professional espionage activities, including targeting U.S. uh, companies, U.S. universities, and seeking to acquire sensitive information. And that is a problem. So I want to be clear. I have no doubt that that occurs. There are enough cases where when you look at it, you would say, well, this is not a misunderstanding. This is not a mistake. This is not a misinterpretation. The individuals who are the defendants, they knew what they were doing. They've pled guilty or been convicted. Uh, They were accorded due process uh, and this should be punished, it should be deterred. Uh, And there are cases of people who have come under false pretenses There are uh, cases uh, in which there are groups of people engaged in a conspiracy. So that's the first category. There there are real cases. Um, I just have zero doubt about that. Uh, And uh, my opinion is it would be foolish to deny that there is some truth, as there is a germ of truth in many stereotypes, exaggerated and distorted. The second category, though, are people who are wholly innocent. They've done Nothing wrong, nothing whatsoever, but because of the color of their skin, the texture of their hair, the shape of their eyes, they were reported typically by a coworker or someone uh, as a likely spy. The two cases that are most prominent are Professor Shaoxing Shi. He was chair of the physics department at Temple University in Philadelphia. Uh, The FBI broke down his door, hauled him uh, away in handcuffs and accused him of uh, selling uh, sensitive information uh, to uh, China. It turns out though, there was no basis for this. They got their science wrong. And that's not my say-so. The prosecutors dropped all the charges. So they walked away from the case. Uh, Professor Xi has uh, now brought a civil suit uh, and has become uh, really a spokesperson on this cause. Someone else, Sherry Chen uh, was a mid-level weather forecaster uh, for the National Weather Service in rural Ohio. Uh, Her expertise was predicting floods, uh, and that's what she did. She was an award-winning flood forecaster. Uh, She visited an elderly uh, sick parent, her her mother, uh, in China. When she came back, uh, co-workers reported her as a likely spy. Uh, She was prosecuted, and all charges dropped. Uh, it turned out that the one database uh, that she did access was a public database that you or I could go look at uh, if we wanted that showed the location of dams uh, and she was doing nothing improper. She was then fired from her job. She brought a, a federal government civil service complaint, which she won In a 130 page opinion. The administrative law judge found that there had been no basis to terminate her that she'd been the victim of a gross miscarriage of justice, uh, but the Commerce Department is appealing that and has refused to reinstate her. Significantly, both she and Chen are naturalized citizens of the United States. Born in China, they had come here, they had become Americans. Their cases do not stand alone, however. Uh, They're similar to the Wen Ho Li case uh, and numerous other cases, uh, which when you look at, Uh, you would have to wonder uh, what happened here. Uh, Why did these cases, why were they brought? uh, How could anyone have thought uh, that these hardworking taxpaying Americans who were no different than their neighbors and coworkers, except for their ancestry, uh, that they were spies? The last category of cases are people who face changing standards or double standards uh, or just something has happened. They did something wrong, but it might not be as wrong as we think it is. Again, I'll I'll give you some examples. Let's put this into context. Ten years ago, five years ago, even three years ago, anyone working in U.S.-China relations, certainly in higher education, would tell you that someone in a role such as I will have as a college president, they were encouraging relations with China. They wanted collaboration, partnerships. They wanted to find a Chinese university, they wanted to recruit students and visiting scholars. Uh, they wanted every type of exchange. The NIH, if you look at its website, touted these programs until just a few years ago. And even participation in Thousand Talents or other programs of that nature was not deemed to be problematic. Indeed, if you were accorded an honor such as that, you listed it on your CV, uh, your university in the United States uh, would brag about it because it meant that you would achieve the highest level of success. So in about five years, some activities went from being encouraged to being frowned upon, to being prohibited, to being criminal. Uh, And when the China Initiative was announced, uh, the prosecutors made it a point to say that it was new. So, this isn't my interpretation. They were taking laws that previously had been under enforced or not a priority. Uh, and many of these are about accounting, moonlighting, uh, failure to report activities that previously might have resulted in uh, some discipline as an employee, but not the possibility that you would be deported, not the possibility uh, that uh, you would lose all of your funding, be blacklisted, and possibly even imprisoned. Uh, To uh, give you an example of this, uh, in one case, leading climate researcher, Chun Zai Wang in Florida, uh, worked for the United States government and studied global warming, climate change. Three different summers, he accepted uh, a position as a visiting scholar at Ocean University in China. That university, like every university in China, is of course government affiliated And uh, he went uh, during this vacation and made $700 US each summer for three years. He made $2,100. He did do something wrong. He failed to disclose this additional source of income. For that, he was uh, federally prosecuted uh, and accepted a plea deal. When he appeared in front of the judge, astonishingly, federal judges don't typically do this, the judge said, that she wished to express regret that she had to sentence the scientist, a leader in looking at global warming. And she made it a point to say, you remain a US citizen. Your family is still here in Florida. You are welcome to visit. Uh, And she sentenced him to one night in prison, which is what he had served uh, while he was detained on these charges. Of course, his career and his life were ruined uh, here. uh, And having no choice, uh, he did uh, return. China. So that's an example of someone who faced a changing standard, uh, actions uh, that were not uh, at the time uh, that he undertook them, the sort of thing that you would face federal felony charges for, uh, but which became uh, something that was so serious uh, that the federal prosecutors in, in the English vernacular would throw the book at you. There are numerous other cases like this. When you look at um, the Department of Justice's own website, uh, the plea bargains and convictions they've obtained, many of them are for accounting or a non-payment of taxes. Again, uh, I'm not condoning that, uh, yet these began as espionage cases where uh, the charges, these are people sent by Beijing uh, to take sensitive secrets. So uh, those are the three categories of cases. The real ones where there is espionage. The racial profiling, or if it's not racial profiling, it's hard to determine what basis uh, at all. It would just be random action by the government apparently to choose to prosecute. And then the third category, uh, changing standards, double standards, people caught up in geopolitical events where did they transgress? Almost certainly they made a mistake. They did something that they should not have done, uh, but it wasn't espionage. Uh, It was as after years of investigation, when people's hard drives are seized and they go through every file, uh, they determine, well, this is what we can uh, bust someone for. Let me uh, talk about scale for a moment, and then uh, we'll open up uh, for questions. Uh, And uh, I do want to say something positive uh, about exchange uh, and the scientific progress and what we're trying to do. One of the things that uh, is striking, I think for everyone who visits China, who isn't from China, even for me as a Chinese American, uh, when I went to Beijing for the first time, uh, I was uh, already, I think in my 40s. Uh, and when you land at the airport there or in Shanghai, you're just struck at the vast scale, right? If any of you have uh, taken um, the uh, subway, the the tram in from the farthest terminal the Beijing airport, and you ride almost an hour, you think to yourself, where am I? Am I still in the airport? You could take a sizable American airport and all of its runways and put it into just one of the terminals of uh, a major Chinese airport. That's actually important. Uh, Let me give you uh, actual numbers. So, as I said, about 350 to 400,000 foreign students, many of you among them, from China specifically, were coming to the United States annually. This is pre-COVID-19. Let's suppose for just a moment that 1% of them are wrongdoers. By that, I mean people deliberately intent on coming to engage in espionage, trade secret theft, or otherwise violate U.S. law. That would be 3,500 cases. So let me be clear about my opinion. That's a lot of cases. That is a problem. 3,500, that's something United States law enforcement should be worried about. We should be doing something about it. But that would mean that 99% of the other Chinese students were just Chinese students. No different than my parents when they came here. No different than many of you. Interested in uh, bettering uh, their station in life. Interested uh, in learning about America. Interested in uh, exchange. So, we have difficulty, I think, uh, in America comprehending the sheer scale of China so that even just 1%, which isn't very much in proportionate and percentage terms, in absolute numerical terms, is a significant number. You know, when uh, COVID 19 started and people uh, talked about Wuhan, probably most Americans had never heard of Wuhan. And Wuhan, for those of you who know China, you know it is a second tier city. It is not considered first tier city. But just take a look at the population statistics. Wuhan as a city is larger than all but one or two American cities, depending on whether you include the entire metro region. So uh, there are more than 100 cities in China of more than 1 million people. The scale uh, is mind boggling and people have difficulty with that. So I think some of this is just driven by people not understanding. Yes, even if you have 50 cases, even if you have 500 cases of people who happen to be of Chinese descent who have done something wrong, that's a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the overall population. It's even a fraction of the population that's here in the United States, whether citizens, Uh, green card holders or foreign exchange students. Uh, Let me finally uh, tie this together with some of what we're seeing uh, that's happening in the world that's on people's minds and on a positive note and then turn over uh, for moderated questions. As people sheltered in place with coronavirus all around us with a pandemic and everyone uh, blaming China, uh, even though the theories of it coming from a wet market are now largely discredited, or the even more outlandish idea that uh, it was uh, developed as a weaponized uh, biological agent. And the true conspiracy theory, uh, if you really follow this, which I mention only because some people believe it, that Bill Gates created this so that he could commercially benefit If you have not heard that conspiracy theory, good for you. It means uh, you're not in touch uh, with uh, that part of the alt-right population. But that actually is one of the leading theories, according to certain news outlets of where this came from, that Bill Gates created it with China. So uh, there was this sense of blame. At first, when people uh, talked about Asians sneezing or sniffling uh, and uh, reacted negatively, I thought they were worried about catching a bug. It was about contagion. I then realized, no, it's about culpability. It's about pointing the finger at someone and saying, it is because of you, your people, that the economy was brought to its knees. Uh, There was actually uh, an attack on a Queens College student uh, just uh, last night uh, in which uh, the attacker uh, blamed the student of Korean background but as we know you all look alike uh, for causing uh, the virus using racial slurs so uh, that was on people's minds and then the killing of George Floyd uh, and so many other incidents uh, in quick succession uh, brought the black lives matter uh, black lives matter movement uh, into the mainstream Sorry, you you can hear my dog barking. We're all getting to know one another's homes uh, much more than you typically uh, would. That's a new social phenomenon. It's another delivery. That's another part of sheltering in place. So uh, this has led Asian Americans to engage in soul searching to ask, are we racial minorities, domestic racial minorities? Are we people of color? Where do we stand uh, on the color line? being neither black nor white. Do we aspire to be honorary whites or are we the perpetual foreigner? Do we just not fit within this paradigm at all? Let me close now though on a positive note. There's uh, so much and the national committee stands for this uh, and I applaud its work uh, and everything that Steve has done to lead it. It Stands for the proposition uh, that engagement is intrinsically worthwhile. So many pundits uh, with the notion of the Thucydides trap that we are headed toward inevitable war uh, have turned away. Uh, And even those uh, who had uh, been proponents of engagement uh, in the past uh, few uh, months, a couple of years, have written erudite essays uh, saying that the United States made a mistake Uh, That from ping pong diplomacy to normalization in 1979, the United States failed to comprehend uh, that engagement would not lead to China wishing to become more like the West. Well, there's something about uh, specifically students. I sometimes have said uh, that I have been an agent of foreign influence, except it's in the opposite direction that people might think. As an American law professor, I've taught law in China to Chinese students who wish to learn American law. So that's promoting values of democracy and diversity rule of law. Uh, And there has been a hope, some might decry it as naive, that those students who have had the opportunity to come from China to America, exposed to what is here will take a little bit of that back home. And the benefits of this bilateral cultural exchange are so numerous uh, that you can hardly list them. But I'll point to what really makes me think uh, the day will yet come again when America welcomes people from the world over, including China. When you look at the success of Silicon Valley, when you look at American uh, research, when you look at entrepreneurs, who is it who drives it? Immigrants, so many of them from Asia. If all of the people of Chinese descent vanished overnight from America, much of the high-tech economy, uh, as well as the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math departments at every university would instantly collapse. It is in the American self interest, never mind the civil rights of Chinese Americans or idealism of, about uh, newcomers. It's in American national self interest to continue engagement, to continue welcoming students, uh, and to ensuring we won't go back to 350,000 students from China anytime soon, but uh, we should continue to hold that door open because so many, whether they stay here and become Chinese Americans or return to China, having uh, understood a little bit about America, they will be able to make China and the world a better place. So uh, I'm uh, greatly honored to have the opportunity to present to you. Uh, we have uh, ample time, at least half an hour, uh, for uh, questions and answers. Uh, and I hope I've given you some sense uh, both of Chinese immigration to the United States historically and some of the issues that face uh, Chinese students uh, in the United States today.
1: Yeah, no, I, I I'm sure you're getting a big round of applause from everybody. I can see all the claps in the on the screen for that uh great history of of what's going on. I I guess the the fair summary w- is it's an exaggeration. It fails to take scale into account and there's a racist component. Would that be a a fair summary of of kind of what's going on?
0: I hesitate to uh, use the term racism. I I want to be cautious about that. I would say uh, it is racial uh, and it's often expressly racial. What I mean by that, not in my words, but in the words of others. I would point you uh, to at least uh, two sources. Uh, Some of you may know the work of the late Samuel Huntington. Uh, He was actually a a thoughtful thinker. I would not call him a racist. Uh, I think it's important to uh, engage with his ideas, to talk about his ideas. Uh, He uh, held a chair at Harvard where uh, he taught. Uh, Steve, no doubt uh, you know his work and perhaps uh, you knew him as a person. Huntington, uh, in 1993, wrote a book. It was a prescient book. Uh, People, uh, especially after 9-11, cited his book uh, as seminal and profound, as as far-sighted. It was a book called Clash of Civilizations. He had uh, written an essay for uh, foreign affairs with the same theme and expanded it into a book. And I can tell you the argument of the book in one sense, he said, He predicted, he said, very soon, we will see a clash of civilizations, an ultimate apocalyptic showdown. And he didn't mean cultural war. He didn't mean trade war. He uh, didn't mean Cold War. He meant military war, an actual shooting war where people attempted to conquer lands uh, and kill other people. And he said uh, there would be three powers, the West with the United States, the West led by the United States, islam and china so uh, after 9 11 people really turned back to his work and and talked a great deal about it uh, focusing on the west versus islam theme Uh, but uh, if you go back and take a look at what he predicted he thought there would be a three-way fight for global supremacy this uh was resuscitated the uh big ideas thinker at the State Department, uh, she subsequently left the job, uh, Professor Skinner wrote an internal memo which was leaked and made quite a bit of news. Uh, again, Steve, no doubt you, you know what I'm speaking of. The Skinner memo um, said uh, that Huntington was right and that what made uh, the dynamic between the United States and China different than, say, the Cold War with the Soviet Union So this is her thesis, not mine. And so you can see it's not me saying it's race. Uh, The Skinner memo said it's because the Chinese are not Caucasian, that that was what made the conflict so markedly different than the Cold War rivalry of the United States and the, the Soviet Union. Now, we don't have to dismiss it as racist. We can actually engage with that and say, well, that's actually that's a mistaken view of the world for a number of reasons, one of which is Russia has always been ambiguous, whether it's East or West. uh, And it's not clear that there's inevitable uh, competition just because a power is Asian or Chinese. Uh, Look at Taiwan uh, as uh, an ally of the United States and and so on. Um, So, uh, but uh, I I would say uh, the notion that every person of Chinese descent who comes to the United States is engaged in espionage is on its face preposterous and laughable, but for the fact that it is propounded by people in a position to enforce that through criminal prosecution and investigation. So uh, that, my, my position is simple. The people on this call, you are not all spies um and 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 you you may be aware uh, not to engage in conspiracy theories myself but you may be aware uh that uh, the FBI reportedly has investigated Americans who have studied abroad in China uh and investigated specific programs for the possibility that graduates of those programs when they return to the United States are engaged in espionage activities so I, I leave it to you to ask yourself, do you think, well, you can ask yourself if you are a spy, and if you think everyone else on this call uh, also is engaged in either espionage or trade secret theft.
1: So so what do we do? For, in other words, Frank, I think, you know, this will be um, decimating for higher education in the United States. You, How many Chinese of the you know, probably that we think there are about 370,000 Chinese students in, in um, college and graduate school in the United States. Some are not going to come back, I think, both as a result of COVID and as a result of not feeling welcome. Do we just sit and hang on till the tide turns? Is this stuff that we can really be doing that people on this call can really do, because I think by definition, if you're on this call, you believe the the, 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 the direction we're moving is wrong.
0: Right. Um, so at every one of these inflection points, we have a, a choice, right? You can always ratchet tension up or try to bring it down. Uh, and uh, Steve, voices uh, such as yours, the national committees, uh, voices that say, look. Um, I can tell you what my personal position is. I'm not speaking on behalf of any institution, any organization. My personal view is it is entirely appropriate for the United States to investigate, prosecute, and punish people who break American laws on American soil. I'm an American. I I think that is a good thing to do, and it's important that we do that. It's also important that we do it according to American due process, and that we look at people who are engaged in activities that suggest they're up to no good. Not that we do it because people happen to be from a place that we've decided we don't like, uh, because part of the ideal that we had uh, a consensus through the civil rights movement is we don't judge people based on their identity. Uh, we instead look at how they behave, and we, we say that action is not appropriate. Um, and there's so many terrible collateral consequences, aside from the people whose lives are ruined. Uh, if uh, you look at, uh, there have been news reports, some of the leading coronavirus researchers in China were Chinese immigrant professors in America until they were driven out. So in addition to the people who face a direct criminal prosecution, There's a chilling effect. The ambitious, talented people who have a choice between uh, becoming a a faculty member in Shanghai or San Francisco, or for that matter, Vancouver, uh, might well decide, why would I settle in the United States? Why would I I make my uh, life there? I'm contacted by people constantly who are green card holders or naturalized citizens uh, who fear that their entire livelihood will be turned upside down because 10 years ago, uh, they uh, were a visiting professor at a Chinese institution, which at the time was not just permissible, it was applauded. People looked at that and said, that's great that you're doing that, right? Steve, you you probably remember that era when, (laughs) we were trying to set up all these things. It wasn't that long ago.
1: Absolutely. It it feels like, it feels like yesterday. One of our directors, you know, the the administration announced that Chinese students from um, a lot of the, uh, of a number of universities who are studying STEM in the United States will not be granted visas to come to the United States. And, um, he characterized it as the Chinese Exclusion Act of the 21st century. That deeply, and what I'm somewhat surprised about is, you know, I've talked to a few universities, they've obviously got, you know, they're all focused on how they're gonna teach in this COVID era, Um, but they're not speaking out loudly on these issues.
0: Why? Well, you don't want to make yourself a target. A few people have, Columbia University President Lee Bollinger, uh, a friend of mine uh, published an op-ed in the Washington Post entitled, no, I won't spy on my foreign born students. Uh, And uh, some systems have uh, taken a stand. Um, The uh, chancellor of the CUNY system, so my boss, Felix Matos Rodriguez Uh, Has spoken out about the dreamers uh, and how uh, CUNY stands with the dreamers. So, uh, my hope is as Asian Americans assume leadership roles, uh, we uh, will remember where it is uh, we came from. You know, Steve, I I think it's uh, if you get out front on this, well, you're just encouraging the FBI and the DOJ to come and investigate you and your institution, right? there's also, um, I'll be honest, I think a, a reticence among some Chinese immigrants. So if you look at some of the social media on WeChat, and, and you look, there's actually um, there, there's a long-standing issue. That I, as a civil rights advocate, have often faced, uh, which is, uh, and I'm, I'm generalizing here among friends. I'm going to go ahead and generalize. Uh, when you look at Black Lives Matter, when you look at movements like that, social movements, if someone is harmed, people rally. What's interesting is in so many cases that I've seen involving people of Chinese descent, the reaction is exactly the opposite. You talk to other Chinese Americans and Chinese immigrants and their views, oh no, right? I'm, I'm not gonna get involved, That that's trouble, right? Or they say, let me wait and see if he's innocent. If he's innocent, I'll support him. Well, of course, <laughs> It's too late then, because he may have been railroaded. The, the point is to uh, advocate uh, and to provide support uh, to the community. So uh, often, and I think there are cultural roots for this. The the response that Chinese uh, Americans, myself included, that that we have is exactly the opposite. So every East Asian culture has a a proverb. The Japanese version is the best known. The nail that sticks up is pounded down, right? What is that about? It's about conformity. It's about not sticking out. It's about deference to one's elders, fidelity to tradition. There's a Chinese saying, right, the loudest duck is shot first by the hunter, Um, (laughs) right? So, So that's all about, you know, you do not want to be in that position. Compare that to the American adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? It's entirely the opposite attitude. So, uh I think that that's why. But uh, if if you speak out, I will speak out. Let let's do it together. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.